Well, this is um, the time of year. It's kind of like the kickoff to uh, Passover, really is, you know, when we uh, come to uh, Purim. You know, it's kind of interesting, different uh, uh, faith traditions, as we like to say. So uh, this past Tuesday, I was uh, right next door here at the uh, Lutheran Church on uh, right here on Morse Road, uh, because they hosted the Gehanna uh, pastors uh, monthly uh, Gehanna pastors meeting. So, so I went to it, and uh, so I was talking to Steve Brown. He's the pastor there. He's a, a friend of mine, and and uh, so he was explaining to me about a little bit of the liturgy that they do during Lent. You know, during this uh, period of the year, right? And so I was, so I thought, oh, it's, you know, it's really nice. It's very good. It sort of draws people on a journey, you know, uh, to, uh, you know, to the Lord. And so I said, well, what we do uh, is we go from like Passover to Pentecost, you know, Shavuot. Uh, and uh, uh, we have a special service a few days after Passover for the resurrection. And then uh, we have sort of like this communal journey as well for 50 days. So it was very nice. Uh, uh, so I explained that to all of the uh, uh, pastors that were there, and that was, it was good. And uh, I always enjoy uh, the interaction that we have, uh, that we have together. And, and so it's good for us to recognize that we live in the margins. We live like, <laughs> you know, we're in, uh, in the Jewish community, and uh, we are also in the community of uh, Messiah followers uh, as, as well. And so it's very, uh, it was very good and a good opportunity of uh, sharing with them. And, and I really appreciated what, the, what they all had to say. So anyway, uh, it's kind of the beginning of the, the Passover season. And, uh, uh, but Purim, uh, is, Purim is a very interesting holiday. Uh, on a number of levels, uh, you know, uh, how many of you uh, are here uh, and in the cycle of Jewish holidays, this is like maybe your first or second uh, go-round for uh, Purim? Anybody? Or everybody's uh, got it down? Oh, okay, good. So um, I, my guess is, is that while maybe we've been here, we probably are not even, maybe we're not even all quite sure about it. So just a little introduction to the holiday itself. So Purim is the Feast of Esther. It's the easiest one to explain. Of every holiday on the calendar, it's easy, easy, uh, the easiest to explain. It's the story of Esther. Read the book of Esther. You know what Purim's about. Uh, there you go. And so it's celebrating the, the victory uh, of the Jewish people over the Persians uh, in the 400s uh, B.C. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so... We, uh, we, we see the faithfulness of God, as you know, the, uh, um, uh, the book of Esther, like a couple of other books in the Bible, uh, you don't read the name of God in the Bible, but uh, God is faithful in it, and, and we read uh, about how the Jewish people, there's, there's some interesting things. One is, is that this is after the Babylonian captivity, and so the Jews in Persia could have returned to Jerusalem. But for whatever reason, they chose not to. So they represent the diaspora Jewish world. You know, uh, we live in that, right? Uh, we live here in Columbus, Ohio, yet 
uh, uh, we could easily uh, go to Israel, live in Israel, you know. If we're, you know, a, a Jewish person could easily uh, live in Israel. Uh, and, uh, but, but we live here, so that's called the diaspora. Uh, in fact, it's even used in the book of James uh, to describe the Jewish community uh, that, he's, uh, that he's writing to in the diaspora. Uh, so uh, it's interesting that you're reading about faithful Jewish people outside of the land, uh, uh, which that's a rarity to, to read about in the Bible, right? And so that God has his hand on the Jewish community wherever they live. That's a great lesson uh, that we learn in the, in the, story, of, uh, in the story of Esther. Uh, in the story of Esther, there, there's a, a, a number of great lessons. We're going to talk about them in a few minutes. So the story is, is about the, the, uh, uh, the faithfulness of God and the uh, work, of, I'll say the work for now, of uh, Mordechai and Esther in being faithful uh, uh, to God. So the Jewish people were delivered, uh, and, uh, and so we rejoice uh, in that. So we have a number of traditions, right, that uh, have come up over time uh, when it comes to the celebration of, uh, of uh, Purim. Uh, one is, is we read the story of Esther, and whenever we come to Haman's name, we make a lot of noise. So we hand out noisemakers, right? Uh, so if you're bringing someone for the first time uh, at Purim, uh, that's kind of an interesting experience. You know, it's kind of like our faith tradition. Uh, is uh, periodically during the public reading of Scripture, we boo or hiss or yell or scream or, you know, kind of interesting. Uh, some might refer to it as a spirit of something. I don't know. But anyway, uh, the spirit of Purim. Oh, okay. Uh, so there you go. Uh, we do that. Then, of course, like all Jewish holidays, uh, we have foods that we eat, special foods that we eat, right? Hamantaschen. Uh, and uh, it is, uh, it's a three-cornered uh, like cookie, right, uh, that has uh, oftentimes like a fruit filling, okay? Does anybody know what is the traditional fruit filling, right? And what is that? Poppy seeds. Good, good. Yep, yep. And I will say it is the best, right? Okay. It's sort of like the difference between a, an onion bagel and a blueberry bagel. If you, if you know what I'm trying to say, right? You know what I'm saying? Right. Okay, there you go. Uh, uh, so you have, uh, you, have, uh, you have that. Then uh, there's a tradition of, um, of uh, having a, doing plays or skits. That is a tradition on, on Purim. Also, uh, uh, dressing up, like in costume. Uh, that, that is also, uh, you know, Purim masquerade parties, that kind of thing are... Very prevalent in the Jewish world. And uh, let me tell you something. Uh, have any of you by any chance been to Israel on Purim? I have. And let me just say, um, let's just say it really does reflect the culture. Okay? Because if you're walking down Ben Yehuda Street on Purim, where you really think you are is in the French Quarter of uh, New Orleans, uh, way more uh, than uh, somewhere in Israel. Uh, and so that's kind of interesting. But, um, uh, but it is this time of just like revelry and, uh, that, you know, and uh, partying and that, that kind of thing. It's, that's kind of what uh, the, the tradition is of Purim. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there you go. So those are the basic traditions of uh, Purim. 
Uh, we're going to talk. There's actually uh, a few others. We'll call them, there's some really redeeming traditions <laughs> of, of Purim uh, that we're going to talk about in, in, uh, in a minute here. But, uh, uh, and so tomorrow, this is a good time to say it actually. So tomorrow, uh, we're going to be celebrating Purim. And yes, we are aware that Purim begins on Monday night, and it's really on Tuesday. It's the holidays on Tuesday, right? And so it begins on Monday night, but it's on Tuesday. But uh, there is an ancient custom of the 48-hour uh, celebration prior to the uh, holiday. Uh, see Marcy on that. She'll explain to you. Okay. Uh, and so on, uh, on Sunday, uh, we're going to do it for a very practical reason. And you know what the real, the real reason is? is because we uh, love our kids here, and we want to get the most out of it. And so my guess is most of our kids aren't going to show up on a Monday night, uh, and way more would come on Sunday. So it's a good thing. Uh, we're we're going to begin at 11 o'clock in the morning uh, with reading uh, Megillat Esther. So we'll be reading Esther, and it'll be fun, and and we'll have noisemakers and all that. And I hope you'll dress in costume. And any, you know, whatever you want to dress up as is fine. Uh, it's just kind of fun. Uh, and, uh, and then right after that, we'll make our way down to the social hall. And we have a carnival. So, you know what? It's kind of like a kid's carnival and a fun time for adults to be hanging out. It kind of is. We're going to have food. And uh, what we do is we sell tickets, you know, um, uh, and that's uh, a good way to, uh, I don't know what it's a good thing for. But anyway, it's good. Uh, it's the ancient custom of selling tickets for things at, at Purim. And, uh, and so you have uh, this prizes. That's what it is, right? Isn't that it? Yeah, that's it. So ki somehow kids, anyway, you'll have a great time. It's really wonderful, right? But we'll have, be having hamburgers and hot dogs and other things. And it's just kind of a, a nice celebration. Uh, and then uh, at 1.30, uh, there is the ancient uh, custom of uh, karaoke, okay? Uh, and uh, so that'll be kind of fun, be a few surprises there, I'm sure. Uh, so it'll be kind of a, 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 a good time. So I hope that you'll come for all or part of it as we celebrate uh, Purim. The Feast of Esther. And then, you know, once Purim is over, we set our sights on Passover. And, uh, and so that will be coming up. We'll talk about that in a little while. But anyway, so a little bit about uh, Purim and the book of Esther. I don't want to retell the story of Esther, but I want to actually take the opportunity today to uh, uh, talk about some of the great virtues and values of Purim and how uh, we see them playing out in what we've been looking at in the book of Acts, uh, interestingly, uh, interestingly enough. You know, in our study of, um, in our study of Acts, uh, uh, it is amazing to really think about, dwell on, meditate on the, uh, the change uh, that we see in the apostles. Uh, uh, when uh, 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 you know when the ruach is uh, poured out, right? And probably the biggest change is in uh, Peter, uh, because uh, it's fascinating to see that when Yeshua is arrested, Peter is like in denial of everything. 
He runs away. He denies knowing uh, the Lord. All of those things uh, that in, in which we would uh, uh, say, oh, whoa, that's, you know, that is, uh, that is not good. He's fearful. Uh, he is, you know, um, just d- doesn't uh, identify anymore uh, with uh, the cause of, of Yeshua for that period of, of time. But then, of course, um, when Yeshua is raised from the dead uh, and, he, and he says, uh, you know, gather the apostles together. And, and there's a great little line there, right? You know what it is. And Peter too. You know, he says that. I mean, that's a whole message unto itself when he says that. And Peter too. Like, you know, I understand. And he might think he's, uh, you know, maybe he's feeling sorry for himself or, you know, uh, he's disappointed in himself. But I haven't given up on him, so you make sure he shows up too, right? And then uh, we see Yeshua says some special and important things to him. Uh, but amazingly, when you come to uh, Acts, Peter is the one who stands up and explains to the crowd what's going on. He's the one uh, who is uh, so courageous now uh, to be right there in the temple environment there and, and preaching away and getting arrested and, you know, and then saying we have to please God and not men. Uh, and he goes out again and gets arrested, and if not twice, but three times he goes out and, and gets arrested. It's, it's an, you, know, you see this, this, he's like a different person. This courage, you see it in Stephen. Uh, there's tremendous courage uh, in facing adversaries, facing people who are against you, and unabashedly uh, standing up uh, uh, for, uh, for Yeshua. And then you have Peter again, Right? We'll see it in the 10th chapter. He's the one who goes against convention completely. He needed four... uh, We'll see. It's a great... When we get to chapter uh, 10, we'll see. He needed four proofs. He needed God to do four different things so that he knew that it was okay to go. But he's the one who goes to the uh, Gentiles. You know, in our class on uh, the speeches and acts, I said, isn't that interesting? You thought, everybody, I said to everybody, you thought, no, Paul's the one. He broke that. No, it is Peter who goes to the Gentiles and then testifies uh, in Acts 15 uh, about it. So we see this tremendous courage, you know, uh, uh, and then we see it in Paul, we see it in Philip, we see it in others uh, as well. So we, you know, a question to ask ourselves, so what is it? It's not just a theological truth, I would suggest, that it isn't just, and the, and the Spirit was poured out, and voila, courage. Or as we were, courage, right? Uh, the, uh, the, the reality is, there was more than that, because, you know, uh, you have to have a particular self-understanding. You have to have a, a particular vision of your life and calling, uh, and we see what happened uh, to those apostles. And may I suggest it is somewhat of the same virtues and values that we see in the story of Esther. And in the story of Esther, there are some great takeaways uh, for us and challenges for us that go beyond having a great time. And we're all for having a great time, right? I, you know, one thing that is uh, just an observation 
It's kind of an irony uh, when we uh, celebrate Purim because we dress up so we kind of hide who we really are. But in the story of Esther, it's about revealing who you really are. Isn't that interesting? It's just kind of an irony, kind of an uh, interesting observation. It is about being uh, who you're uh, called, uh, called to be. Okay? I, all right. So in the story of Esther, the, 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 the pivotal chapter, the pivot, the turning point is what chapter? Does anybody know? It's the fourth chapter. Okay? I know that you knew that, right? It's the fourth chapter of Esther. That's where uh, we move from uh, Esther not speaking uh, to Esther finally saying a word. And you know, it's kind of interesting uh, uh, in that, in that uh, here uh, we see uh, Mordechai. Mordechai is, uh, we know that he is a, uh, a man who understands himself. We know that because, one, he won't bow down to Haman. Right? There's a reason for that. He knows his identity, knows who he is. He won't bow down to Haman. He goes against the convention. He goes against the culture. Uh, he takes a real risk. He demonstrates courage. Right? Uh, he won't bow down to Haman. Uh, all right. And then uh, uh, also when he hears about the edict, what does he do? You know, he uh, sackcloth and ashes, tears his clothing. Uh, all of these are signs of, of, uh, of a Jewish person uh, who is uh, now uh, prostrate before God, praying for deliverance. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and so we see uh, Mordechai uh, being this courageous man. But the real, uh, the heroine, the story is about Esther. I... Uh, uh, in, and of course, of course, that's the name of the the name of the story is Esther, right? Uh, how do you say what is Esther's name in Hebrew? Hadassah, right? Esther is actually Persian. Okay. Um, so, in the fourth chapter, I, I I think I'll just read it from the beginning. When Mordechai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the midst of the city, and wailed loudly and bitterly. And he went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the the king's gate, clothed in sackcloth. And in each and every province uh, where the command and decree of the king came, there was great moaning among the Jews, mourning among the Jews, with uh, fasting, weeping and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. So you see, people were fasting, weeping, uh, 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 and, and crying out uh, over this edict of the, the upcoming dis- destruction of, uh, of the Jewish people. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish, and she sent garments to clothe Mordechai that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hatach from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordechai to learn what this was and what was, what's going on. So Hatach went out to Mordechai to the city square and in front of the king's gate. And Mordechai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. And he also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been uh, issued in uh, Shushan, 
uh, for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go into the king and implore his favor and to plead with him for the people. Uh, so uh, uh, Mordecai, see, he, he's saying Esther is in this place of where she can make a difference, right? Uh, and so, so uh, he says, okay, I, I want you to take this information and these words and give it to Esther so she'll go and talk to the king. She has the entree to be able to go and talk to the king. All right, so Hatach came back and related Mordechai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hatach and ordered him to reply to Mordechai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, right? That he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter, so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king uh, for these 30 days. And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. So Esther basically tells Mordecai, you know, I'd love to help, uh, but I can't. All right. And so Mordecai goes away and says, okay. No, that's not what he does. Then Mordecai told him to reply to Esther. Do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. So Esther hears this, and this is like the moment where she has this epiphany, uh, where Mordecai has persuaded her. Uh, it's kind of like a person uh, sitting in the pew, and they hear the message, and it somehow strikes them in a particular way that God works in their heart. And so may I suggest that it wasn't just uh, Mordecai uh, used all of his powers of persuasion, but he spoke what was true and God moved her. And God moved her. There are uh, interesting stories in the Bible uh, where you read about a moment in a person's life. I, uh, one that comes to mind, uh, well, two, two real quick ones. One is uh, Asaph in Psalm 73. You can read Psalm 73, you know, uh, later on. But the first half of Psalm 73 is him saying, oh man, you know, I, I, my feet came close to stumbling because I saw how I, uh, you know, the, the heathens were being blessed uh, and ungodliness is uh, not being judged. Uh, and then he says, but then I came into the sanctuary of God. You know, in other words, then I came into the sanctuary of God, and then says, I perceived therein. My eyes were open. He had a moment, whether coming into the sanctuary of God meant going in the temple or this great moment of prayer or whatever it might be. The other one is Habakkuk. He's another one. Who at the beginning of Habakkuk, he's, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to allow me to see violence? Don't you love that? How long are you going to allow me to see violence? Right? Uh, and then at the end, He's, uh, you know, no matter what, I'm going to be faithful to God, right? What happened? Well, right in the middle, in the first four verses of chapter two, we see that God works in his life. He's hanging on for dear life. It says, I was hanging on when I'm, because he knew he was going to be reproved. He says, I know that God's going to be upset with me for speaking to him like that, but God isn't upset with him. He basically gives him a life-changing vision and his whole worldview gets changed. And so here we see it uh, in, uh, in Esther. 
And uh, now we see Esther, like, suddenly is, like, in charge. And, uh, and, and uh, what does she say? Go assemble all the Jews who are in, found in Shushan and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. Then I will, put, then I will go into the king, uh, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. And Mordechai went away and did, did just as Esther had uh, uh, commanded him. And so here we see, and then the, re- the rest of the book is how that all plays out uh, to the salvation, the deliverance of the, uh, uh, of the people. But in this exchange between Mordechai and Esther, I, I'm going to suggest we learn three virtues uh, and uh, that, that relate to uh, Esther and the Jewish people, that relate to the apostles, and that relate to you and I. Those three virtues have to do with identity, knowing who you are, responsibility, recognizing uh, a particular uh, calling, and then the last one is uh, uh, activism, acting out that responsibility that flows out of our identity, okay? So uh, for Esther and Mordechai, this identity issue uh, was uh, uh, being, a part of, uh, being part of the Jewish people in, in the story of Esther, that she was not, her primary identity was not the queen. Her primary identity was uh, being Jewish. Her primary, this, and this is what Mordechai this is what Mordechai is explaining to her. Remember who you are, you know? Uh, uh, you may think, uh, oh, you're the queen and, and uh, you are uh, safe and all that. But no, remember who you are. You are a Jew just like me and just like all the other Jewish people. And, uh, and, and so uh, not only does that put you in danger, but also remember uh, that you are part of something greater than yourself. You are part of this, uh, part of this uh, uh, people. And her responsibility then was, I have to do something, right? I have to do something. Now, Mordechai, uh, uh, when you read between the lines a little bit of what he says, uh, Mordechai is absolutely convinced that this is not the end of the Jewish people. He says, because if you don't do something, help will come from somewhere else. May I suggest that Mordecai, who was a praying man, a man who fasted, uh, a man who clearly identified uh, with the Jewish people, felt the pain of his people, uh, certainly uh, uh, was one who believed in the covenant relationship and that uh, uh, there are certain covenant, covenantal promises uh, in the uh, Torah and in the prophets, uh, and that even though they lived outside the land for whatever reason, God was not going uh, to abandon them. And so that help and deliverance would indeed come from someplace else. But Mordechai understood and inculcated to Esther that you have a responsibility to your people no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what privilege you have, no matter, uh, no matter what, even if you changed your last name, uh, you know, and it, even if they call you by something else, even if you don't live in Yerushalayim, even if you don't live in Jerusalem, 
you have a responsibility. And so we see the uh, 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 Mordechai inculcates to Esther the, uh, the virtue of identity and responsibility, which leads to serving. But a great word, I think, to use is activism. Activism, because when we think of active, activism, most of us don't see ourselves. A person who sees themselves as an activist sees themselves as a person who goes against convention, sees themselves as a person uh, who, in the face of, uh, you know, of animosity, and, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the face of, uh, of um, people coming against me, will stand up for what is right, right? Uh, if we see ourselves as an activist. So, you know, words are powerful. Uh, so that's why not just serving or working or doing, uh, but, but recognizing there's a radical aspect uh, uh, to activism. And there's a radical aspect to what Mordechai is asking Esther to do. And she recognizes that this is not the norm, that I actually have to take a risk. But she's willing to do it once she understands uh, uh, her identity and her responsibility, suddenly courage comes her way, see, when she understands this, uh, and she acts. And of course, that's the rest of the story. Uh, she takes her life in her hands, just like she said, that if I go to the king and he doesn't hold out that scepter, I'm a goner. But now she's willing to take that risk because she sees what she is doing is part of what she has been raised up for, see? Uh, and she's willing, uh, uh, you know, to do. Once she's convinced uh, for such a time as this, she acted, right? Okay. So then you have uh, the, uh, uh, let's relate this to the apostles, to uh, Peter and to John and, uh, and then the others uh, who were not apostles, Stephen and Philip. Uh, and then relating it uh, to Paul, the apostle, uh, as, uh, as well. Okay? One of the things that they understood clearly when you read the letters that they wrote uh, and you read the way they acted, they understood their primary identity was in Yeshua. It was their, their primary identity uh, was in Yeshua. And they framed everything that they did in, in their uh, life through the lens of Yeshua, okay? And this all comes, I'm talking now in, in Acts. So I'm talking about when the Spirit of God is poured out, okay? I, and so we would all agree that it's now because, uh, not only because of the theological truth that the Spirit of God indwelt them, but that they also cognitively understood their identity in Messiah. It wasn't just like a switch, in other words, it wasn't just like, oh, the Spirit of God is poured out. Now it's like, boop, the on button, you know, and now, uh, and now uh, suddenly uh, Peter takes on an entirely, uh, you know, different way, right? No. I, that there was an understanding that their identity was in him, okay? And we know that, uh, certainly, I, and I'm not going to turn to the passages because we've, we've looked at them and uh, we don't have enough time for it, but you can read it. But just to recall, remember that um, uh, what Peter says, uh, that Yeshua is alive. Remember what he says, Yeshua is alive. And he says that Yeshua is the one who is healing. Yeshua is the one 
uh, you know, who is doing the miracles. Uh, and, uh, and so clearly Peter understood that his identity was in Messiah. Yes, Peter knew he was the one uh, doing it physically, but it was Yeshua doing it because Yeshua was dwelling in him. And clearly, we read uh, in uh, the letters that Paul wrote, to live as Messiah, to die as gain. Uh, we read uh, one place in particular where we are studying these days, uh, in the beginning of Colossians, in the third chapter, uh, we read three different times that our identity is in the Messiah, right? If you've been raised up with Messiah, he says, he says, your life, when Messiah, who is our life, is revealed, and then he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. Clearly, he's saying it three different ways, that uh, we are in him, he is in us. And then he says in another place, you know, for uh, the life that I live uh, now is Messiah living out my life in the book of Galatians in chapter 2 and 20. Uh, for I have died and uh, my life is in, uh, is in Messiah. The life which I now live, uh, I live by faith in Messiah who uh, uh, died for me and uh, delivered me. Uh, and, uh, and, and so there is this identity that the apostles have, this primary identity of being in Messiah. What does it do for them? Uh, they all recognize the responsibility that they have, whoa, uh, the, the commission that they have been given uh, uh, to uh, demonstrate life in Messiah and to bring the message I, uh, to make disciples, to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. I, they realize this is what we are called to do, right? It's like a no-brainer. This is what we're called to do. I, and then they become activists. That they go, against, uh, they go against convention. They go against the norms. I, I, they take whatever is going to come their way. Uh, they're bold. They're courageous. Uh, and, uh, and, and we see that, uh, that demonstrated, right? Uh, they are uh, radical, certainly. We see it in Yeshua because we see it in Yeshua himself. He understood his own identity. He knew he's the son of God and he's the son of man. He knew he was the messianic king, and he knew uh, that he was the very uh, 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 incarnation of God. He identified with God. He identified with God. He did not see himself as an agent of God. He did not see himself as a refle simply a reflection of godliness, but he identified with what God does, okay? Uh, uh, you know, a long, long time ago, someone wrote a book, Liar, Lunatic, uh, or Lord. Uh, and while we might say, oh, that's, you know, kind of outdated, it really isn't, because when People either, he either lied, he was out of his mind, like a megalomaniac, uh, or uh, the Lord, or, or what he said was true uh, about who he was. Uh, and we know that that is indeed uh, who he was. So he understood his identity, and he understood his responsibility, and indeed Yeshua was an activist, right? Uh, uh, certainly, uh, people looked at him and said, we never saw anything like this. And they ended up going to his death, but death could not hold him. And so even, uh, you know, uh, he was a radical even in his death, 
uh, that death uh, could not tame him, hold him, or domesticate him. Right? All right. Uh, and so we see this uh, in the, uh, you know, in the apostles, in the Messiah of followers. The same, uh, the same virtues. All right. Uh, and so uh, I would suggest that uh, this is indeed the modeling and what we should get uh, out of uh, uh, out of the Book of Esther, uh, as as well as. Uh, the uh, uh, the apostles, the uh, the Messiah followers, and so how do we understand this uh, uh, in ourselves? Okay, uh, uh, well uh, we're going to talk about our primary identity, but a few different identities that we have. We don't really have one, and uh, really I'm going to go back to Paul on this as well. Okay, so our primary identity is in Messiah, just like they. Like I just read from Colossians, how they understood themselves. We need to understand ourselves that way. Our primary identity is in Messiah. We belong to God. Our primary uh, self-understanding is, I am a child of God. Uh, uh, I, uh, uh, I'm one who, has been, uh, one who has been called by God. When we receive Messiah into our lives, when we embrace Yeshua, I, it's not just a case that he comes into our lives. It's not so much that his identity is in us. How's that for an interesting thought, right? Usually we say, he has come into my life, okay? But his primary identity is not me. And we can all be thankful for that, right? No, it's the other way around. Primarily what happens is we, uh, we enter into him. Primarily, what now the river runs both ways. Yeshua said, "Abide in me, and I in you." Right. So certainly, He dwells within us uh, via the ruach, via the, the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. Right. But the big thing that happens is that we enter into His realm along with everybody else that embraces Yeshua. So that's how we become part of something bigger than ourselves. We become part of what he's doing in the world. And we become organically related to him via the Ruach. We become empowered because we're connected to him. And uh, we become connected, therefore, in a way to everybody else who embraces Yeshua. So we all become part of what he's doing. That's why we use the terminology, the body of Messiah. We read it uh, in the scriptures, the body of Messiah. Not my body, it's his body, right? We're part of of what he's doing in the world, so that when we are serving him at our utmost, what people see is him. What people see is him when they see us, or when they see us individually, or when they see us communally. People see Yeshua, right? So that is our, our primary identity. But like uh, Rav Shaul, like Paul, we have another identity. We have an ethnic identity, but as a community, we have a Jewish identity. Uh, uh, as a Beth Messiah uh, uh, community, uh, we all may have varieties of other ethnicities, but as a Messianic community, we have a Jewish identity. Uh, and it is very interesting, Paul does not become this uh, non-ethnic person. You know what? You know, he says in, uh, in um, Romans chapter 10, right? In Romans 10, uh, 1, he says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. 
Okay? Uh, in chapter 9, he says, I'm telling the truth of Messiah, I'm not lying, my conscience bearing me witness. You know, he really means it when he says, he says this three different ways. He says, I'm really telling you the truth. He, it's, like, it's like, this is a version of saying, uh, what was it? I cross my heart and hope to die. <laughs> you know, what you're saying is, what I'm really, really, really telling you is what's really, 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 really true. And he says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the, in the Ruach. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Messiah for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. My relatives, my family, the Jewish people, I'm dying because they're not believing it. My heart is broken, you know? So he clearly still has uh, a, an ethnic identity. Uh, you know, he does, it's not just like, yeah, you know, uh, I received the Lord, I used to be Jewish, and now I really don't care, uh, and so on and so forth. No, uh, that, that's, uh, th that is not the true, it's not the case, whatever, right? Uh, and, uh, uh, and so, while his primary identity is in Messiah, he's really concerned for his people. He's really concerned for his people. Like Esther, really concerned uh, uh, for, uh, for his people, and that is... Uh, a very important part of our communal identity uh, here at uh, here at Beth Messiah. Okay, so we have so we'll say we have our identity in Messiah, uh, uh, and on top of it, our communal identity uh, as a uh, as a real life living uh, living uh, uh, community. Okay, okay. So like Esther and like the apostles, recognizing that. Hopefully, we recognize our responsibility in that identity. Our responsibility in that, I, uh, in that identity. Okay? So, first of all, we, what is our responsibility in our identity in knowing Messiah? Our responsibility is to live in such a way that we make him known. Right? Now, here is where, this is the real crux of the, of the thing, in that responsibility. And we've said this before, but it takes repeating. Uh, and I love to repeat myself. It's like a gift, okay? So, uh, so it's this. That oftentimes, as believers in Yeshua, we view our responsibility is to be a better version of me, right? I'm like, my responsibility is uh, don't worry so much. Uh, my responsibility is uh, not, uh, if I have a temper problem, my responsibility is to not lose my temper so much. My responsibility is uh, to... Uh, be able to trust God more. Uh, you know, my responsibility uh, is to uh, uh, to be pe pe to be at peace. I, uh, you know, uh, to uh, win over worry, as as uh, as we might say, right? To be a better uh, to be a better person, right? Okay. Well, <clears throat> here's the thing. I the, the truth is is that Yeshua did not die for our sins. Uh, in order uh, for us to just uh, 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 be a better version of myself. That's not why he died. It's not why he died and why he rose again. Uh, and, uh, and the good news is, uh, is not that uh, now I can uh, just be a better human being. No, the good news is, is that uh, Messiah the King has broken into the world and that, and that he has uh, opened up the door for us to be able to enter into his presence now, 
to be empowered uh, to do what? To make a difference in this world. That everything about uh, being, uh, being a, uh, a, a person uh, uh, who demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit is not just for myself. It's so that I can make a difference in the world, that I can, I can relate to people in such a way that it causes change all around me. And that's what happens in Acts. That's, that's what happens in Acts. That because the Ruach is poured out and they're filled with, with, with the Spirit, yes, God changes them, but in order for them to do something. You know, it's just like when we talk about, when we talk about traditions. Traditions are great, but they're never an end unto themselves, right? They're to cause us to grow closer to the Lord. So may I suggest that when we are filled with the Ruach and uh, we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in, in our lives, it's for the purpose of making a difference elsewhere. Not just to say, oh, I now I feel really good about myself. You know? No, that's not a horrible thing. We should not feel horrible about ourselves. But that's not the end of the story. You see? Uh, and so when it comes uh, uh, to Esther and Mordechai, when it comes to the apostles, we see that now they recognize their, their calling and their responsibility. And so may we realize that when we embrace Yeshua, now we've been called to be part of something, to do something. We have been called to demonstrate the life of Messiah in word and deed in order to be change agents wherever we are whether it's at work or at the gym or walking the dog or here or wherever it might be. We need to have that kind of attitude. That's what God calls us to do and to be. That's how you don't get ingrown. That's how you realize that it's not just about me. It's not just about us. It's not just about having a good time. It's about how are we fulfilling our calling. And sometimes we forget our calling I, I, uh, because we are simply not reminded of it, I, and just what we do around here becomes an end unto itself. I, and so we have uh, this, uh, this responsibility. Okay, so hopefully then that morphs into the virtue of activism, of being active, of doing something, of making a difference. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's interesting when you go back to Esther, and then you look at the apostles. They did a variety of things. One of the things in the story of Esther is about... Whoa, always tie your shoes before you give a message. Okay. Okay. Uh, and that is uh, uh, the, the role of fasting in that fourth chapter. I don't know if you ever noticed this. But you notice at the beginning of the chapter that people are fasting and weeping. They're fasting and praying that God would do something, that... It, you know, it's a bad situation, and so they're fasting and praying. That's a good thing. That's, that's very good. But then, isn't it interesting that what Esther says after she begins to speak, she says, fast for three days and three nights. Fast. She's going to go and do something. But this is a different kind of fast. This is a fast of activism. This is fast because I'm going to go before the king, and we're going to see what happens. This is not fast and oi, 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 God, do something. That is, we do fast at, for that. But now this is a fast as she is going to go and do something. And you know, it's very interesting. You know, in Judaism, now, you know, the holiday begins on Monday night and Tuesday. But Monday day 
is a fast. Did you know that? To Anit uh, Esther, the fast of Esther. And it's interesting, it's, it's the fast of Esther. It's a fast not of uh, weeping because it looks like everything is hopeless. It's fasting and, and uh, being prepared to do something. And so the idea of Ta'anit Esther is that we're sort of like reliving what Esther's doing. You know, just like at the Seder, we're kind of reliving the Exodus, you know. So here uh, at, at Purim, we fast with anticipation, you know, and then we celebrate, you know. Uh, and so that in and of itself uh, is a, uh, you know, a, a, a fasting uh, in recognizing a responsibility and recognizing a, 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 a calling. Uh, and so that's uh, a rather interesting. Uh, but there's certainly, when we relate this to the apostles, what did they do? Uh, we know that one of the things they did is every time they'd get in trouble, they would pray for more boldness. They didn't pray to uh, get out of the jam. They prayed for more. They prayed for more boldness. Uh, the ability to present the message, uh, you, you know. Uh, and, uh, and so we see uh, this, uh, this sense of activism. Uh, uh, the, but it begins with prayer and fasting. We see here and then action, activity. Esther goes before the king and he holds out the scepter, Right? Uh, and you know the rest of the story. Uh, the apostles cannot be stopped. You know, uh, uh, no, matter, no matter how much they're incarcerated or martyred or whatever, they can't be stopped because they realize this calling. And so for us, may we take from the book of Esther this virtue of activism uh, and being, being active. One way of being active is Again, like prayer and fasting, specifically for people, people that we know, for our world, for issues in our world that require uh, 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 fasting. In our, in our men's uh, uh, meeting on Wednesday, we were talking about this a little bit, that you, know, you can watch the news and just simply like, throw in the towel, right? But why not look at it as, oh, I'm going to get my prayer requests now, Okay. Uh, the prayer requests are coming in, and I know what to pray about because God has called us to stand in the gap and to be men and women of, of, of prayer uh, and of fasting, but then of action, right? Uh, men and women of action. Do you know, of course, in the Brit Chadashah, in the Messiah community, there are over 50 admonitions of one another's, different kinds of one another's, of interacting. We're called to interact in the lives of each other, you know, uh, uh, in varieties of ways, speaking into our lives, uh, giving a word of encouragement, uh, giving someone a hug, or, or uh, you, you, you know, uh, advice when necessary, uh, or just a greeting, or of acceptance, and, and all of those things, right? So how important uh, is that uh, indeed for us? That, that is a form of, of activism because you have to step out perhaps of your comfort level in order to do that, right? Uh, and then there's uh, uh, in the Jewish community, being active in the Jewish community uh, as part of the Jewish community, as part of the Jewish community, being concerned about Jewish issues in this world. Uh, then uh, another form of activism, and this is most this is the, the, 
the main uh, thing we get out of the activism of the apostles is sharing the good news of the Messiah verbally, sharing the message. I know that it's important for us, and we do stress these days, acting, demonstrating it in the way we live and so on, but not to the expense of not sharing the good news of the Messiah and sharing our testimony, even in the face of opposition, uh, even if we're not accepted. That does not make it wrong to do. Uh, we, we certainly can get lulled to sleep. And that, that is uh, a very, you know, something uh, very much. Uh, when, you, when you really want to change a culture, if you want to really change people's hearts, it's not about uh, politicians uh, and laws. It's about people's hearts. And there's lots of people in this world who can spend a lot of time worrying about the politicians uh, and laws. But it's only us who have a message, a life-changing message of deliverance and a, a vision for a real hopeful future uh, in the Lord. And I hope that we recognize our identity, that we recognize our responsibility and our call to action and to activism, uh, uh, all rooted in the power of God, uh, you know, living in us. And, you know, uh, finally, at Purim, I, uh, when I was growing up, what we would do, you probably have heard of, uh, of Mashloach uh, 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 Manot, right? Uh, so when I was growing up, uh, what we would do, it was not so much give gift baskets to each other, but we would actually, uh, that was a time of year when you'd collect uh, food. I, uh, I, uh, you know, for uh, give it to a food bank or or something like that, uh, and uh, and that is uh, uh, that comes from the ninth chapter, uh, where uh, uh, you read in Esther in the ninth chapter in the twenty second verse, I think it is. Yes, sending portions of food to one. Literally, that means sending portions. <laughs> it's uh, in the in the Hebrew text of Esther. That's sending portions. And, uh, and so uh, even in the story of Esther itself and in, in the Jewish community, there is this uh, sense of, uh, you know, serving others, stepping outside of uh, caring just about ourselves. So uh, may we uh, uh, really, as we prepare for Passover, may we recognize our identity, may we recognize uh, our responsibility, uh, and may we re recognize uh, the call to action uh, in our own lives and realize that just like Esther, given the right set of circumstances, given whatever opportunities we may find, we can indeed uh, make uh, a difference. And so let's pray that way uh, and let's uh, uh, you know, really um, see ourselves as uh, uh, maybe refreshed and renewed uh, and, and may God give us uh, all that it takes to, uh, to engage in this activity. Let's pray. Uh, uh, God, uh, we thank you and we pray, uh, God, uh, uh, for us, God, that we would uh, not be comfortable where we sit, Lord, and that we would not uh, leave it to somebody else, 
God, I pray that we might recognize that we indeed have been called for such a time as this. And it's not just a, a nice little phrase, you know, that we like to say. But we really have been called for this time in history. And Lord, may we use our lives in such a way that when we stand before you, that we might not just hear, uh, well done, good, good servants, but that we might hear, well done, good and faithful servants. And I pray, Lord, that we would ask ourselves, Lord, am I good or am I good and faithful? And I pray uh, that when we stand before God and he says, so what did you do? Uh, that we might have something to say. And Lord, I pray that we would realize it is important, obviously, who we are, the kind of people we are. But that is the preparation for uh, being active, not an end unto itself. And so, uh, Lord, may we be people of prayer. May we be people of fasting. May we be people of action. And God, thank you that you are indeed the king and uh, the scepter is always out that we can always come before you and that we enter now through a new and living way, God. So, Lord, may we remember that. May we be men and women of prayer. May uh, we be men and women of action, filled with your ruach, empowered by you into a spiritual sense of activism. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.